Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Rachel Maidment, Executive Director of the Council, and for this episode, I was delighted to speak with Kitty Nathan. Kitty is the co-founder of her fashion brand, Kitty Nathan. Her products are owned by Barack and Michelle Obama, Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, Jacinda Ardern, and many others. Kitty is a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her contribution to Māori and the fashion industry, and has been honoured with the Sir Peter Blake Leadership Award. When I first met Kitty in 2017, she didn't have as many letters behind her name, but she had an amazing vision and concept to bring a group of young Māori designers on a hikoi to China to introduce and support them into trade within one of the world's largest fabric markets. This grew to 15 designers in 2019 and an added in market focus, and has transformed into Kahui, our first Māori fashion collective, which is working with NZTE to develop a strategy to enter the China market. Our conversation started with Kitty describing her first ever trip to China. Kia ora, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> in 2012, I was working on a collaborative uh, label with Anna Stretton. And Anna was sourcing and manufacturing out of China at the time, and she was heading up for a trip. And I asked her if I could pay my way and come on up and just tag along. And so in 2012, I remember going into the Guangzhou fabric markets and with a piece of paper that said in Chinese character, how much per meter. Uh, And it was just so daunting. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have um, a translator. I just had this little piece of paper and I was absolutely blown away by the scale, the variety, the buzz. This just indigenous industrial space. It sort of tingled all of the senses. (laughs) I, I just adore fabrics. So it was wonderful, but it was really, really hard because I had no concept of how to trade within that space. And then I started going up either by myself or with my husband every year after that, to source fabrics. So we have no fabric manufacturers here in New Zealand. Um, We produce, you know, wool, and then that's sent off to China to be milled and then sent back here. Trying to source fabrics for any type of fabric that's outside of wool or leather, you have to go to a fabric wholesaler here, and then you're choosing from a selection of fabrics that every other designer in New Zealand is choosing from. So your point of difference is compromised. Uh, And the price point is heavily compromised. So going up to China initially for me was about sourcing fabrics. Right. Yeah, I remember talking to you about this in the early days, and it certainly sounded like um, when you'd bring the young designers up, their eyes would just open so wide when they'd go to these markets. Yeah, and a big part of it was about choice. So it was really just the variety. Absolutely. Um, Choice and price point. And also the ability to be able to manufacture your own fabrics, create your own prints and textures and so forth in fabric. And for some of the designers, it ended up being about manufacture. Then there's the freight issue as well. What have you been doing with COVID and with issues around supply chains and not being able to get up to market, et cetera? What impact has that had? Once COVID hit, and I'm sure every single business in New Zealand that was importing or exporting for that matter, um, ran into issues. So things were held up. And for the fashion industry, many of our larger labels 
simply couldn't land their clothes in time for the seasons. So what happened as a, a roll-on effect of that is they started to manufacture in New Zealand from local manufacturers, which in itself um, was a little bit rough on us, the smaller ones, because our usual go-tos as made in New Zealand labels um, were gone and used up. But this was just one of the effects of, you know, um, COVID and freight was a nightmare and the cost, the cost just went through the ceiling. Yeah, um, sea freight was still cheaper than air, but air was just, that would have just put you out of business. And now taking us to 2017 when I was posted to Guangzhou as Consul General and I was sitting in my office with my awesome deputy Emma Hoda and we heard that you were bringing a hikoi of young designers to China. How did that come about? That started from a conversation that a young Māori designer had with me in regard to helping her source fabrics from China and me realising very quickly that I needed to take her up there physically. I mean, one of the biggest barriers for these emerging Māori designers is is putia, is money, the cost of travelling up there, the unknown. And so I wanted to eliminate all of those challenges that I had, I guess, when I first went up and make this hikoi for them just a really enjoyable and comfortable experience so that when your mind isn't completely stressed out, you can soak it all up and you can really take it in. One of the first people, was the first person actually to support Kahui, was Pam Ford at ATED, or what was ATED at the time. And um, they, of course, were part of the tripartite delegation or a huge driver of the tripartite delegation. So they pulled us in under their wing and took us over as part of that delegation. And, of course, that's when we met you. I still believe to this day that you are the defining difference of Kahui's success within China because you um, fought for opportunities and you created relationships and networks for us that we would never have been able to achieve without you. So, nga mahi nui ki Totally uh, overstating um, what we did there. But, I mean, what I would say, it's people often discount sister-city relationships, um, but it was really what incredible what was achieved through that one, um, through Auckland, LA and Guangzhou coming together as sister cities. Cities are really important in China, and city government has a lot of power. And the tripartite was the biggest ever outbound delegation from Auckland to go up to China and a group of over a hundred came up and you guys were a part of that. Those origins, that 2017 tripartite experience, meeting you, the other businesses that showing at Guangzhou, like being the first New Zealanders to show at Guangzhou Fashion Week, all of these things were so beneficial to us as designers and as small businesses. But uh, what we didn't realise until probably a couple of months later when the outcomes came back from that particular tripartite is that we were listed as one of the top three outcomes from that entire delegation. And that blew our minds as well. So I think confidence just kind of like reassures you that you shouldn't underestimate yourself just because you're small. So, Kitty, we often hear a lot about Māori business doing really well in China, uh, and a big part of that is about the way cultures are able to connect. What's been your experience of that? Well, I've always felt whenever I'm in China, it's like a different version of home. That is because of culture. I feel like I've always felt safe, I've always felt cared for, and 
when we had the 2019 Hikoi met with China's high-level fashion industry, um, we went in with Māori culture and we met with Chinese culture, and it was beautiful. The connection was organic and immediate, and there was an immediate level of respect. And when you say you went in with Māori culture, what do you mean by that? We would go and speak in our language. We would um, use karakia prayer, waiata, song, um, talk of stories that uh, even if they were old stories, a lot of our old stories really align with Chinese stories. You know, there's just so there's so many crossovers. But of course, because I'm sure like many of our waka came from that side of the world. It's, I just think there's there's a lot of ancient whakapapa that it's an, that's at play, um, whakapapa genealogy at play, and of course you feel that, and it's innate, and um, there's something about it that just connects individuals, connects business, connects relationship, and um, yeah, I, I feel like it's one of our superpowers, you know. And I certainly have really seen that. Uh, on so many different occasions, what a massive impact a lot of Māori delegations have had when they've come in and they've led with Waiata. It's just completely changed the whole vibe and feeling in the room and you immediately get to a place that is really difficult to get to otherwise. I think superpower is an awesome way to describe it. (laughs) And you talk about, I know that you, um, during one of your hikoi's, you did meet with a top Chinese um, fashion label that has really harnessed Chinese culture. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Shangxia. Shangxia's. Um, I was completely blown away. It's the first time that I've ever experienced a luxury label that has that that's origins lie within their culture that has been able to develop products a business ethos and value set that doesn't compromise cultural integrity. And they were bought into by Hermes, and um, so they have stores in, in all over the world. And just the quality of their products is, I've never seen anything like it. And all the products are still created with traditional methods. I, it's just absolutely beautiful, but even more so than that, you know, the director of the uh, Shanghai store met with us and spent half a day with us literally talking about Chinese culture and wanting to know about Māori culture, Chinese history, Māori history, and all the significance of story within culture. It was just an absolutely beautiful day, and I really feel that is something that I would aspire to for my own brand, to be perfectly honest. What they've achieved is is phenomenal in my mind. In China, we are hearing a lot about the authenticity behind the story and this real drive that's only getting stronger by the day. And probably like a lot of trends we're seeing in China has been sped up by COVID, mm-hmm. is this desire for authentic products that have a story behind them. Um, are you feeling like this is going to be a really important proposition for the Kahui Collective? Well, what's been wonderful, one of the other wonderful outcomes um, of this challenging pandemic has been the fact that Kitty Nathan Limited has always been authentic and we've always put our values before 
anything else, we have turned down or walked away from opportunities of growth because it didn't align with our value set. And so those things were always easy decisions, I must say. But the outside world didn't see it as that. They, they just couldn't understand why we were making these sorts of decisions. And now it feels like people do understand and more people are trying to walk that path. And as, um, as the founder of Kahui Collective, I always try and impress on people that your values are the foundation of everything and they can't be compromised. A theme that has come through a lot of our discussions is that, that the next step for New Zealand producers and exporters is we need to be really focused on brands. You know, New Zealand, aside from Zespri and a few others, doesn't have a lot of those really big brands that are going to offer resilience going forward. But perhaps fashion is something where you don't necessarily want a massive brand. Well, yeah, and I've always been quite strong on the um, fact that when we go into market, no matter how we go or where we go, to just be very, very honest about who we are. We are small brands. We can only cope with so much manufacture. And so I've always said to the designers, and as part of the NZT, uh, you know, Kahui Coalition, it's really important that we go into market saying, this is who we are. This is what our little brand does. But this is what we offer. We offer authenticity. We offer story. We offer limited editions. We offer quality. And we offer made in New Zealand rather than going into market saying this is who we are and then them impressing on us what they want from us because that would literally put these little brands out of business. Uh, a massive order sounds like a great thing. However, what is that compromise? Does it compromise your quality? Can you source the capital to be able to manufacture all these things? So I just kind of think it's good to um, really understand who you are and be very honest in your correspondence with the consumers in China about who you are. And that's really important, isn't it? Just to make sure, like you say, with that level of honesty, because the scale is so much greater in China. We're a nation of 5 million people <laughs> and you know that's the size of a very small town. So there are just completely different mindsets around questions around quantity. Also, um, we really need to uh, be forthcoming in, in what we do offer and really kind of like go deep on our wins. So for us, it's like we make these beautiful, authentic products that can't be found anywhere else in the world. This is the story and the history behind them. And this is what they represent. And this is, this is how you'll feel when you acquire one of these pieces or when you wear it. And this is what you will be connected to. So you can't just go down the road and buy a T-shirt or, or a skirt and feel that. That has to be created through something that's authentic and real. And that's what we offer. Now, with this sort of obsession with celebrity, obviously you have designed products that have been worn by all of these famous people, like Beyonce, for example. And one of your designs has also walked the Oscars red carpet did that have any impact for you in the China market? I don't feel like it did. I remember, <laughs> uh, I don't know if this hurt my ego or, <laughs> or what, what happened, but I, I remember um, having a conversation a couple of times with that sort of higher end Chinese 
industry organization or individual and dropping Beyonce's name or, you know, dropping, <laughs> dropping these different names and just nothing, just absolutely nothing. And I was like, oh, well, that was actually a really good lesson in humility, uh, <laughs> but also a really good learning. You know what? Jacinda. Yes. Jacinda wow. impacted. I think it's because of the level of respect for governance. Yeah. So just talking about Jacinda was important. However, these celebrities, I just don't think that they impact not even close to, you know, the kind of impact that KOLs have within China. Yes, we've spoken before about how these key opinion leaders or KOLs are incredibly influential and brands work closely with them to rapidly respond to trends. But they're also expensive, uh, as is any new market development. So as new entrants, how is the Kahui Collective going to approach China? What's been interesting about the post-COVID or post-initial pandemic within China, as far as the fashion industry is concerned, is they've created an intermarket strategy for international brands via buyer shops. So those buyer shops didn't exist when we went over in 2019. If they had have existed then, I would have just been like, yes, we know exactly what we're going to do. But, you know, timing is everything. And um, what the buyer shops do is they almost provide like a marketplace where they house different types of collections and designers. And they have, I suppose, a theme or a variety of types of kākahu um, with different types of stories and so forth. So this was great news to us hearing about the buyer shop and they also buy small brands. We, we were just like, what? It's like you almost put out into the universe. Um, this is what we need to be able to get into China and then they created it. And so we have an agent on the ground that we've been working with, with NZTE and the coalition who has gone out and done some market research for us and also created our first online buyer meeting. So that was facilitated from the NZTE of New Zealand Central in Shanghai. And they invited buyer shops, they invited a few KOLs, and they invited different people from the industry, manufacturing, and there was about 15 different specialists that were... Um, participating in this particular, in, in China, in this particular hui or meeting, and then myself and Karen. So Karen on behalf of NZTE and myself on behalf of the Kahui Collective were Zoomed in. And a presentation was given to these 15 guests. And basically they just, they told our story, our individual stories, and spoke to the fact that we were a collective of these individual brands. And how did they think that they liked them? Did they think that these, these products would sell? Where would they suggest that these products would sell? And we just got the best data ever. <laughs> it was fantastic. And as a result of that, we are currently building our own, it's like a H5 website via WeChat. It's like a small buyer's website where we will stock our products and then the buyer shops will come to this website and purchase or order. Yeah, and so that's basically, that's going to be our first into market foray. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, and it's all been done remotely. And what were the sort of key things that they said? Were they critical? Um, were they supportive? What was the vibe, the tone, and what was your feedback? Uh, the tone was excitement. The feedback was very critical, which I always appreciate, and very honest. They gave us insight into the things that they felt were working for each of the brands and also insight into things that they thought were really quite irrelevant or wouldn't make much impact or could probably do without just tangible information, you know, action-based information that we are now going out and developing collections that will then be onboarded onto this website and then will sell direct into market. And again, they will sell with the amount of units that we say that we can produce. And I mean, I'm just really fascinated in this feedback. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going down that road again. Um, What were the kinds of things that they felt would resonate with these um, consumers? Story. Yeah. Quality. Sustainable and ethical brands did help, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the be all and end all. The fact that we had limited editions or what they would consider limited editions. We just consider them as our collections, <laughs> but they would consider them as limited editions because they're very small offerings. So they're hard to get. And New Zealand provenance, was that something that they thought was interesting from a fashion perspective? Yes, because it still resonates with them as quality and clean and small and authentic. Authentic. Yeah. And, um, Real, I suppose. We've still got a really strong presence there for such a tiny country, right? And obviously the fact that we were Māori brands, because a lot of them didn't know what Māori was. A lot of them didn't necessarily know what New Zealand was. (laughs) And once that was explained, that was definitely a pull. It never sort of ceases to amaze me that... 12 years ago when we started our little brand, not knowing anything about the fashion industry, not knowing anything about manufacture or business for that matter, that we were consistently told that our brand wasn't relevant because it had such a strong Māori aesthetic and ethos and that there was no place for us in the market, in New Zealand that is, and certainly nowhere around the world. And it never ceases to amaze me how those statements and that mindset is proven wrong over and over again and that the reason that we've never compromised on the Māori aesthetic and content and ethos of the brand, that that is the one thing that's always been our triumph. It's the one thing that's always been the point of difference in a market filled with clothes and a market filled with people with their main concern being to make money, where ours was always about creating beautiful products and having 100% respect for the origins of that and the origins of culture. And these things have created gaps in the market and opportunities all over the world that New Zealand designers have never, ever been able to achieve. Many thanks to Kitty Nathan for sharing her China journey and market insights. For more podcasts, please follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or check out our website, nzchinacouncil.org.nz. Thanks for listening.